All right, welcome back to Riding the Pine with the Lefty and the Coach. We are back here on a really late Thursday night at this point. Uh, we are <laughs> recording out, as usual, Memphis, Tennessee, me in Dallas, Texas. Uh, tonight on the show, we're going to go over some of the NBA playoffs uh, thoughts that we have from the Grizzlies and Lakers last night, as well as the rest of the series going on as I'm actually sitting here watching Golden State and Sacramento play. Uh, we're going to go over a little bit of the NBA NFL draft stuff, uh, draft obviously next week. So we want to delve into that for just a little bit. We're going to talk about Tyler Van Dyke and Alabama and that situation that unfolded this afternoon. And then our top 10 list of the evening will be the top 10 greatest NBA villains after last night's Dylan Brooks, just Oscar worthy performance in the locker room. Uh, but to start <laughs> off tonight for our cold open, I want to talk about NIL because that's a good topic. Um, you know, it, I've I've seen now for, you know, NIL has been a thing since July of 2021. And the same thing I keep seeing over and over and over again is, oh, we, we don't want to pay players. Okay, that's fine. I got I got no problem. If you've got an, if you've got something against that, I got no problem. You sure money spending how you want. But in the same breath, you're gonna say, well, we're terrible at recruiting. Okay, well, you know, the crazy thing is there's an actual way to, to make that better now. Donate. Donate to your initiative, to your fund, to your whatever. Donate. If you're going to complain, donate. If you're not going to complain, and again, no problem with it, don't complain. It's, it's not hard. I, I don't – I have yet to figure out how, what the correlation – you what you think is going to happen. I mean – the most obvious one I see is, oh, let's let's just let somebody else take care of it. Well, our big boosters have to do it. Okay, well, your big boosters are already being drained 19 other ways. Why don't you step up and do something? Maybe if 1,000 people, 5,000 people donated $50 a month, hey, you're probably making a debt. If, if, if 5,000 people donated $50 a month, that's $250,000 a month. I don't think you're breaking the bank for $50 a month. I tell you, Al, there's not many things that just irritate me and, and legitimately tick me off. I, you and I have been friends long enough. You know you know most of them. The one that obviously comes to mind is, yes, John Wall was past the free throw line in the 2010 SEC Championship. Mississippi State should have won. We would have been in the tournament. But this is one of those. <laughs> it irritates me. Don't complain if you're not going to do anything. Well, if you think about just paying players, it's been going on for a pretty long time, don't you think? I've got no problem paying players. As I've said, I've told you this a hundred times. Show me a winning program, I'll show you a program who cheats. Just, just not cheating anymore. SMU would have been a football dynasty with NIL. I mean – they had a great NIL program. It was illegal, but a great NIL program. Sure would have the, them rolling, baby. They were the best NIL team in the 80s, for sure. But, you know, I just I just don't get this, this, this I guess, attitude that we're going to complain that we don't want it, but we're going to complain that we're not recruiting well. I, right. I, don't, I don't get it. Right. Well – to these people that are complaining, instead of putting the $500 into, into your investments every month, just go ahead and put it into your favorite football team. Well, and, that, and look that, at that, it. Hey, you're, inv you're investing in something, right? 
But look, here's the thing. If you, I, and I understand if you want to put that 500 in your investment account, go right ahead. I got no problem. I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. But don't in the same breath complain that you can't get a player or you're getting outbid or A&M's got Saudi oil money funding their NIL to go eight and four. Uh, yes, I know. Seven and five, folks. I, I'm sorry. I gave him an extra win there. Five and uh, seven <laughs> from I mean, last year. Look, if they're five and seven this year, I think we all know Jimbo's out of town. Um, but look at the, hey, look at their offensive coordinator is this year. Yeah, that's, that's it, Mike. That's gonna be great. I can't wait. Bring to it see in, them. bring it in, Bobby Petrino. I can't wait to see them get in a fight like Game Five on the sideline. Petrino's gonna hit Jimbo with his headset. But you know that that's the thing. I just I, I don't understand this. We're going to argue. We're just going to expect somebody else to pick up the bill. And right. that's great if you're Alabama or if you're – I mean, the the best one that comes to mind in the recent years is it's not even A&M, and I think a lot of people expect me to say it. But, no, it's Michigan State. You, know, you go back to Michigan State back – I think it was two years ago when all this started. There were two guys, Dan Gilbert and Matt Ishbia. Now, Matt Ishbia at the time did not – he was just a, a high billionaire – now, obviously, he owns the Phoenix Suns, but you know him and Dan Gilbert got into a, um, you know, whose ego is bigger contest with Michigan State basketball. They're on the same team. They kept Tom Tom Izzo had like twelve million dollars in NIL because they were trying to outdo each other. Right. I mean, well, if you're those programs, no, you don't have to worry about it because somebody else is going to foot the bill. But if you're a program like a Mississippi State, like a uh, I don't know, a Kentucky or a, you know, Kentucky football, not Kentucky basketball. But if you're a pro, if you're one of those, a uh, Mississippi State, a South Carolina, uh, a team like that, that, and I don't include Ole Miss for this reason, because Ole Miss has figured this out. They've gotten people involved. They've gotten the message out. I guess I've centered around my team because we haven't, and we had an, right. an AD who should not have been the AD, but that's, that's water under the bridge. You know, you right. I guess I guess that's my my thing. As I just you've got to get everybody rowing in the same direction. You can't have eight or ten big time people and then ten thousand small time saying it's bad. Right, and you see too. Just obviously, you know, this whole NIL stuff has been going on for a long time. Just the debate on you know how do we legally pay players since Ed O'Bannon back in UCLA, um, really, and then lawsuits began in the two. Th- Really in the two thousands. So yeah, thank you, Sam Keller for proving <laughs> football because your player wasn't very good. That's not my fault. You weren't a good quarterback. Right. But the big thing that I'm seeing is just like you said, like we're we're gonna definitely talk about early or talk about later in our show, but just the what these teams are doing to actually actively use NIL to recruit players from other teams and other programs. And another thing I'm seeing too. Um, think about this. <clears throat> you have the Cavender twins. They're worth almost $2 million, according to Forbes, in NIL money. And really this, really this year. So if they're almost worth $2 million, do you think they're going to stay to a school like Fresno State? No, because you have a school like Miami. You have an environment that can fund and get players to your program. And players want to, you know, be in a position where they can actively – show off their name, image, and likeness and make money off that. 
You go to uh, Caleb Williams. Yeah, his head coach ends up at USC, Lincoln Riley. But why do you think you think you think a a player like Caleb Williams? Do you think he's making more money in Norman, Oklahoma, or do you think he's making more money in Los Angeles, California? Well, and here's here's my thing on on the the Cavender twins or Caleb Williams or Libby Don or whoever you want to name. Those people are getting money off their name. They're right. they're capitalizing whether it's now they're getting more offers now. Or they, right. they built a they built a brand that's worth correct. They built a brand. What we're getting complaints of, and I'm seeing is, is just these guys, these recruits that have no name brand. They they don't have any name brand. They're not out there like Caleb Williams with Beats built uh, deals with Beats or deals with right. Nike or the Cavender Twins with Champ Sports or Livy Dunn with yeah. every every company under the sun, but right. I'm talking about the guys we're just straight up paying for players. I mean, this is, yeah. it's paper. It's not even pay for play though, because they hadn't played yet. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's insane, but you know, it's, you either at this point, you got to get on board or you got to accept that your team's going to be bad. Like absolutely you get on board. Your team's going to be bad. Your team's going to suffer because they can't. Yep. NIL is here and NIL is here to stay. And NIL is only going to increase in the years to come. It's only going to become more and more of a factor for the performance of how well these teams perform in, in the season. Yeah. And, you know, Will, this will be my last thought as we move you know forward. I, I just – I see – I guess my problem with it is, and I said it to start and I'll repeat it to end, it's just this – I guess it's an old-school way of thinking of, well, you know, they're getting the scholarship and they're getting all this. They are. I, they are. They're getting that. They're, they're, they are getting free education, and that's valuable. That's great. Here's, the, here's where I clap back at that is, okay, they are, but guess what? They're also out there – making your university i mean are we going to start paying them if you want to say well they're doing that i mean are you going to start paying them for every what are we going to do on every college application hey why don't you come to mississippi state oh i watched dak prescott on tv we're gonna start giving them a cut of that i mean that if you don't want to do nil then that's the only other way to go is that you're paying them for their market for their exposure value right look at butler 2010 national championship game exactly I mean, you have you have more students wanting to come there. Um, you have more money going into that school. Look at what I mean. You, we've all seen the article about Nick Saban and Alabama, and just how much money not only has he brought to the athletic program, but how much money his program has brought to the university as a whole. Well, I mean, look at all these kids sports, at Alabama. Sports, now. sports is paying for these for these universities to function exactly. on a day to day basis. Exactly. And you look at go to go to Tuscaloosa. I dare anybody go to Tuscaloosa on a football weekend. You're going to see car tax from New Jersey, from Washington State, from wherever it may be. And trust me, those people ain't going to University of Alabama because Tuscaloosa is just a freaking oasis. It's not. It's in the middle of Alabama and there's nothing there. Um, but they're going there for the experience and the walk. Right, they're going there football. because their football team's bad to the bone and they win. Right. But Absolutely. Again, we'll we'll get off that topic because I can get on that soapbox for about four hours. Well, last thing, I, I just one more thing. I know we have a lot of other really awesome stuff to talk about, and really that will be really interesting going forward for sure. 
Um, but the biggest question that these athletes have now, besides, you know, that's great. I'm getting my scholarship. I'm getting an opportunity to play college sports. But you know what the you know what the next question is coming out of their mouth to these coaches and to these uh, programs and these big time schools? What else can you do for me? That's the big question, and that's the question that you have to be able to answer to get these kids to come and commit to your university. That 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 next that next question that's always going to come out of these athletes' uh, mouths. What what else can you do for me? You have to be prepared to answer that question. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, that's, that's where we are. That's 100% where we are, but absolutely, you know, as, as we move on and tonight's podcast we're brought to you by Adidas, Drake may say checks over stripes, but neither of them are paying for them. And I'm wearing Adidas right now. So we're sponsored by Adidas live the three stripe life folks. <laughs> uh, so we get on to the NBA playoffs and obviously I, I think the game we're going to talk about and I think the game, any, any podcast, sports station, Dutch sports TV show this morning is talking about is this Grizzlies Lakers series, and obviously <laughs> us being Grizzlies fans, it's just like music to our ears. But let's go. You know, last night the Grizzlies really turned back the clock. You know, <laughs> they look like the old Grizzlies team. They ground, they dragged the Lakers into the mud, and they didn't like it. Um. <laughs> I mean, I think the first person you have to talk about and everybody's going to talk about is Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks last night, number one, he shows up without a shirt on um, or, or has his shirt unbuttoned with glasses that I'm pretty sure had like whatever the lowest tint you can put on a car. He was about three shades lower than that. Um, and just, I mean, just absolutely talking from – start of the game finish. I thought the best part of the game was you know, I and Eagle is sitting there and Dylan hits a huge three, starts just chirping at LeBron. And I mean, your I and Eagle on the broadcast. Oh, and Dylan Brooks with the dagger all over LeBron now. And they show his stats three for 12 for nine points. And you're just like, wow. Okay. That's, that's not great. But you know, Dylan right now, he is doing his best Triple H impersonation from the WWF. I mean, this is just incredible. The amount of anger he is getting from the, the national media, the Lakers. I mean, and that's what he wants, folks. He, this Absolutely. is a wrestling heels dream. He has pissed everybody off, and now everybody's going to tune in Saturday night because everybody now – Wants LeBron to drop forty on it, except us. If we make the NBA Finals, are we going to see uh, a Rod or a, yeah, Rodman two point with Dylan Brooks? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, are we going to? If you know, I have. Are we going to? Are we going to see Dylan miss a practice to go compete into in a, in the in the wrestling that night? I, well, here's the thing. I don't think Dylan needs Hollywood Hogan. I think he's got enough heat on him right now. He can probably just walk out there by himself. I mean, it, it, at that point, I, you know it would happen. I mean, let's all be honest. If the Grizzlies made the playoffs, Dylan Brooks would be on Monday Night Raw the Monday before the finals. That, that would happen because it would just be the greatest storyline ever. Well, one big thing I've been seeing, uh, obviously at the game yesterday, but I tried to watch after every timeout or every even uh, TV timeout, 
when Dylan was on the court, I tried to even watch like what the what the Lakers bench was doing, what some of the coaches were doing when Dylan was jogging off the court. And there was one incident, and you probably know, uh, Dylan hits a shot. Uh, the Lakers call a timeout. LeBron, Dylan gets in LeBron's face, and uh, Dylan starts chirping at him. But actually, when Dylan was running to the, the, to the uh, Grizzlies bench, uh, Darvin Ham's looking at him and with, giving him kind of the death stare. And then even Phil Handy, one of the Lakers' assistants, was pointing at him, try, you know, jawing back. So just oh, they hate it. They just hate real, I'm just saying, real something that we all know to keep our eye on, but it's just, you know, trying to give you kind of in-game scenarios of what, what we were seeing in the stands. Uh, now, my second uh, point, who the hell is impersonating Rui Hachimura? Look, where, <laughs> this kid looks like a Mats player now, and he, and he averaged 9.6 points a game. He's averaging 24, 25 for the series. Well, where did this come from? Well, it's kind of interesting just to see his progression as a player. So he was three year, a three-year uh, player at Gonzaga. Uh, we know they're a West Coast Conference team. We know that their competition is kind of up and down. Normally a team like St. Mary's, uh, normally a team like BYU in the past has been their toughest competition. So Rui Hachimura actually did not start but two games his first year at Gonzaga. His third year at Gonzaga, he started all 37. And that year at Gonzaga, they actually beat – R.J. Barrett, and they actually beat Zion Williamson in the Maui Invitational Championship. So I'm just trying to say that he, I mean, he was the star player on a really good team coming out of college, averaging 19.7 points a game, seven rebounds a game. So Rui Hachimura, he was a big name coming out of college um, that could actually really score and had a really high skill set. So I think putting him, putting him in a position where he can make shots, putting him in a position where he can keep the game simple. You're seeing that right now with the Lakers. Um, he's he's getting a lot of just catch and shoot threes, a lot of um, a lot of uh, one two dribble type pull ups, and he's knocking shots down. And he's having he's playing with a lot of confidence right now. Allie's leading the Lakers in scoring. He was he's doing in college leading a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Their leading score is Rui. Hachimura. I'm just trying to say that he's he's a good player. He's a good player. That, I had I am not denying he's a good right, player. Right. But if you'd have had odds on him leading the Lakers in scoring through two games, you'd be on a beach somewhere right I now. I agree. It's something, it's someone that your eyes catch and you do a double take for sure right now. When you see the stat line for the Lakers in two games in an NBA playoffs with LeBron and AD on your team who won a championship a couple years ago. Bubble championship. Bubble championship. We'll put an asterisk by that. Bubble championship two years ago, but you have those guys on your team, and you're right. You 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 go through the stat line. You're looking you're looking for LeBron. You're looking for maybe AD to be leading that charge, and you have a guy like Rui Hachimura leading that right now. But um, playing with lots of confidence, and to be honest, I think his play adds to the series. It makes the series better. So um, it's part of stepping up. You gotta have you gotta have players on your team that step up in moments like this. I agree. You know, and I think the Grizzlies last night, and you and I talked about this last night, and we talked about it a little bit earlier today. I think the reason the Grizzlies won last night was was what they got from guys like David Roddy. 
what they got from guys like Luke Kennard, what they got from a guy like John Conchar. Um, now, I did not think last night I'd be watching the Xavier Tillman legacy game. Um, <laughs> that was absolutely amazing to watch. But Right. Getting, thir- getting 32 minutes out of him was huge. So and, you, and plus 10, plus yeah. 10 um, and a plus minus. So, yeah. And so, you know, you now the series turns to LA. Um, game three will be 9 30 Saturday night, Central Time for us. Um, you know, I think a couple things you look at um, as the series turns, uh, you know, can Hachimura shoot that well in LA? I don't know. Maybe it's a Memphis thing. I think, does Ja play? I be- I'm of the opinion that Ja's going to play Saturday night. I-, I think we see him. And then I think the biggest thing I'm looking for, and I think you would agree on this, is who does Shannon Sharp get in a fight with first? My money's on T. Morant, but I could see it being Dylan as well. I thought him and T. were boys. They kind of dabbed up after that game, didn't they? Yeah, well, hey, it's the playoffs. <laughs> and when did Shannon Sharp become a Lakers fan? Uh, around the same time everybody else does when it's convenient. Yeah, when you can just buy a jersey on Nike.com and go watch the Lakers play. Correct, yeah. It's like all the people that were in the stands last night with Lakers jerseys on. Well, the next time the Lakers are at the at the uh, FedEx Forum, I'm going to take a poll and I'm going to ask all the Lakers fans that are there, I'm going to ask them how many times they've actually seen a Laker game in Los Angeles. You need to ask them who are the – can they name the Lakers starting five for any of the previous playoff games? I bet they can't. <laughs> Hey, we we can put some. We'll have to uh, contact Vegas and see if they can make a make a line on that one. I wanted him to make a line last night of was Dylan go. I was watching the game with a couple of my buddies here in Dallas, and one of them said, "Man, I bet it's minus six hundred that Dylan says something stupid in post game." I said, "Six hundred minus six thousand. He's going to say something stupid in post game." Sure enough, after the game here, yeah, LeBron's forty. He's old. Didn't impress me. Like, oh god. He said he'll only be impressed when LeBron's scoring 40 on him. So, well, And here's the weird thing. He says that, and hey, that's Dylan. Like, we get it. Dylan's only ever allowed 40 points to one person, Damian Lillard. That's it. In his NBA career, one guy has scored 40 on him. So, I mean, that's – He can score. He can score the ball on anybody. So, well, When you shoot the ball 35 times, you know, that tends to happen. Um, but, you know – at I think, you know, a couple things the Grizzlies I just really think have to do. I believe that how they played defensively last night, they're going to have to continue to play that way. I think they're going to have to keep trying to drag L.A. into the mud. You've got to limit LeBron's minutes into those bursts that he had last night. You know, he would go off for two or three minutes, and then he'd have to go to the bench because he couldn't stay in it. I do. Actually, one question before we move on because you were there. Yeah. What happened on the Roddy, the the transit, not transit, I guess the sequence where Roddy hits the three and then Kennard gets the four-point play. Where did he steal the ball in there? Because the camera was focused on, I think, Dylan. Yeah, so so Roddy, Roddy hits the corner three. So Roddy hits the corner in the right uh, – the corner three in the right corner. I was kind of sit, I was sitting in section 219. Goal, the, the, the goal the Lakers were scoring on in the um, – and the first half was kind of on my end. So it was kind of hard to see. But as the ball was thrown in, it looked like Luke Kennard kind of did the fake I'm running back and then came in and, and intercepted that pass. Okay. I, can, I, mean, I want to say, did, did, did D-Lo, 
did uh did did D'Lo get that foul? I think he did. I think D'Lo yeah, got that. No, foul. It, I think it was it was either was D'Lo or Schroeder. Was yeah. it Schroeder? I think. It, yeah, I need to, I need to go back and look. I need to go back and look at who who got that foul. But that was a huge huge moment in the game too. Because so, well, I mean, we were up four and then we leave up eleven. Yeah, we ended up up. Yeah, we end up 11, 30, 19 at the end of the first quarter. So that was that was big. That was big. And look, I think Tyus. I think Tyus, his ability to get on transition. Um, made a couple. He loves that floater in transition. Eight assists, plus seven um, on the plus or minus scale. Um, just his ability to distribute the ball. Look, he got Tillman a lot of a lot of looks. Tillman knew. Yeah, Tillman knew. Tillman knew that if he ran the floor, and got out and ran and and, and got ahead of the ball, he knew that Tyus is the type of player that will will kick it ahead to him and throw him that lob. So. Um, I thought Tyus did a great job just getting guys involved. So um, it was a great performance. I know it wasn't the prettiest win um, stats-wise, but, hey, a win's a win, and uh, the Grizzlies got to have some confidence that they can uh, Holy crap, the Russell Westbrook just hit a three. Oh, my God. What channel are they on? Are they on ESPN? Yeah, they're on NBA TV. Oh, NBA TV. I was watching Kings and Warriors. So I was too. I said halftime. I flipped over to the uh, to Phoenix, LA. But no, sorry, we had to interrupt the podcast, folks. It doesn't happen a bunch. It won't happen again tonight. So don't worry. Russell Westbrook three. <laughs> uh, you know, back to back to kind of getting back on topic with, with the Grizzlies. I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it. You know, Tillman's ability last night to get out and run the floor, be able to get buckets in transition was big for him because I think it got him into the flow of the game more than anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, another thing, too, just defensively, I know we were talking about offense, but one thing I noticed defensively, um, Reed, when Austin Reed was coming off uh, ball screens, we were still what we call zoning the coverage, which meant the guy who's setting the screen for Reeves was sagging off to protect against the roll. And we were coming over the screen. So we were really trying to get Reeves attacking past the three-point line. But what we were doing was instead of sagging off those shooters, we were really kind of staying attached and just allowing our guy that was going over the screen to get back on Reeves and just try to contest a pass or contest uh, you know, <clears throat> an 18, well, 19 footer. Funneling, funneling everything into, into Jared. Yeah. Yeah. Funneling, funneling everything middle. And then when D'Lo was coming off his ball screen going left, we tended to hard hedge, trap it for almost a second, and then roll some help over and try to, you know, be physical against like an Anthony Davis, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, um, or even a Hachimura. So when he called the ball in the roll, when he called the ball in the roll, immediately body up, try to make a, you know, make it a tough, tough two type situation. Yeah, Jared Vanderbilt, extremely quiet last night, as in I completely forgot he was actually on the floor during most of the game. And you know what? I saw him. He did not want to chase Tyus around. In that first game, he was willing to meet Ja for 94 feet. Last night, Tyus did not have to work to get the ball like Ja had to work. And Tyus did not have – he didn't have the pressure on him getting the ball up the court and getting into the flow of the offense. Well, and how much of that do you think goes – how much of that do you think is honestly just the Lakers knowing that if we give Ja a 45-foot runway to start, like he's going to drive the lane and absolutely kill us? Right. I think right. that probably sure. has something to do with it. As you know that Tyus, while Tyus is a good player, he's not going to be able to do what Ja does. 
Right, right. Tyus is a you know run the offense. Tyus is a make make open shots, um, and Tyus is a, a get guys involved and make the easy pass, make the easy play. And I thought he did a great job last night, just getting guys involved. And I was really impressed with his play for sure. Yeah. So we'll move on a little bit. Um, heat Bucks. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on this one. You know, obviously the Heat just get absolutely dismantled last night uh, without Tyler Hero, even with a Giannisless Bucks. But Bucks played team basketball last night. But absolutely, if you're looking at it from the Heat's perspective, hey, we got what we came for. We got a win. We got we got our win. Now we get to go back to Miami. You know, we're generally a pretty good home team in the playoffs. You know, maybe we get this thing to three to one. Uh, you know, or maybe just draw out the series. You know, playoff Jimmy's going to come alive at some point. So, absolutely. Um, you know, that's just kind of my thoughts on the series. I again, I still do expect Milwaukee will get that series, but it, I think it's going to be more interesting than uh, I, I certainly gave it uh, a chance to be. Yeah, I think Milwaukee's still a favorite. Um, Bam Adebayo seems to play better at home, so I would, you know, I think he'll play very confidently. I think Jimmy Butler will will be just a tough, hard-nosed player that you have to stop because I think he's going to come out and really be firing in game three for sure. But you got to be worried about the the Bucks and their ability to get points from other from their bench. You had how many guys over 10 points, Rob, for the Bucks in that game? I think it was six. I think it was six. That, I mean, that's, had, that's what I would – I know Pat Connaughton has 22 off their bench last right. night. Right, and then your leading scorer is Lopez, right, yeah. with yeah. 25. Yeah, I don't think anybody had Xavier Tillman or Brooke Lopez legacy game on their bingo cards last night, so uh, right. that was well, shocking. One thing I've noticed with the Bucks, Bootenholzer, they're a true five-out team. So they're a true five-out team. Um, a lot of, you know – uh, so like your five man, they have kind of like a stretch five. L- Lopez is really kind of your stretch five. So how it r- really putting him in pick and pop situations, um, spacing the floor out. Bobby Portis gets a lot of corner threes. So you you have a lot of guys on that Bucks team that can make shots. So that would that that's a team that you got to you know if they get hot. So you never know one game. With guys making, you know, scoring and, and making shots, they hit 25 threes in the game. So basketball is all about confidence. Look at a team like uh, FAU and the NCAA tournament. So um, you got a team that's starting to see the ball go in the hoop a lot. That's a team you got to be you got to be worried about going forward. Absolutely. But I think that I think that series is something to definitely keep your eye on. Absolutely. To be honest, in the East, I'm really watching that series. I'm really watching that Cavs uh, New York series back in New York. Yeah, I think game game three tomorrow night. I think I saw seven thirty ABC for that one. Uh, I, it's going to be a really important game in New York. The Garden will be buzzing tomorrow night. But um, next game, I kind of want to talk about. We'll obviously we'll we'll talk about Knicks uh, Cavs uh, like eight more times because I think that was been seven. Um, Sixers Nets. This series looks to be over. I think the only thing left that we'll figure out tonight is what happens with Joel Embiid. Does he get some? Does he get a suspension for what happened? And then James Harden obviously ejected. Does he get a suspension? Um, right. I think that's the only two things that keep this from being sweet. Is one of them out for the entire game? The Nets, great story. Obviously, they lose KD, lose Kyrie, still make the playoffs. But 
again, you know, they just, they're kind of undermanned. Um, and, yeah. and we'll see what happens with them uh, as the, as the offseason goes on. You know, it's, it's tough. They're 3-0, but they've been competitive. I mean, that's all you can ask for. They've been as competitive as they can be in that series for sure. So, I, you know, I, I thought it was going to go five. It looks like you're right about the clean sweep, uh, Rob, on that, in that series. Yeah, and then the Kings-Warriors, um, obviously I think the Warriors are up right now 12 at half. Um, you know, in your opinion, do you think Sacramento can steal one? I mean, do you think they can steal one in, in Golden State? I, it's in not Golden State. tonight. Oh, ab- Always absolutely. It's going to have to be game four. Absolutely, absolutely. You have De'Aaron Fox on your team. You see what Malik Monk can do. You have Sabonis, who's been a consistent double-double type player. Obviously, you know, I thought Keegan Murray would come alive in this series. Just like we talked about, a guy that can make shots, but he he hadn't really had the series that that the, the Kings need from him. But I still think you have a, a playmaker in De'Aaron Fox who has really been hitting some clutch shots. He had a big clutch three in game two. Um, but I think I, – I still think that, um, you know, I think the Kings could definitely win a, win game four. Um, but like I said, I still think this is going to go seven. Um, I think the Kings can win game four. I'm not saying they will, so let's make sure that we understand that. Well, but the good I, thing I st- as long as the Kings hold serve at home, though, they know they'll have game seven. In in that arena, and I mean that would be an absolutely insane environment. Um, Right. I think I still think the Warriors in seven. I'm going. I'm sticking to my guns and saying Warriors in seven. I think you have to. I think you have to go with the champions until they're knocked off. I I really do. I agree. I agree. I agree. Just an update on that game: uh, sixty-one forty-nine Golden State. Um, Yeah. Nine thirty-seven left in the third. Yeah. So. Moving on, we'll actually get off basketball. I know y'all are probably happy to hear that if you don't like the NBA. Um, if you don't, you're really missing out this year. Um, I'm already having withdrawals, I think, Rob. But as we move on, the NFL draft next week. Um, just want to withdrawals. Just want to hit a few things with it real quick. Obviously, we'll dig deeper into it next, probably next uh, Thursday, which would be the Friday, maybe maybe the the Monday podcast, but probably the Thursday podcast. It's probably be podcasting during the first round of the draft. Um, you know, I, I think who would you take number one? I think who is going number one is kind of obvious at this point. I think it's going to be Bryce Young. I don't think anybody really thinks it's going to be somebody different. Now, if you ask me who I would take, it's CJ Stroud. I think CJ Stroud is the more pro ready player. He's got that body of being six three. He's got the size, got the length, got obviously got the arm. If you watch the the uh, national semifinal game, but again, I think Stroud I, goes one too. I think Stroud. I'm with you. I think Stroud goes one. Well, I think he should go one. He's not going yeah. to go one. Young's going to go one, but I think Stroud should go one. That's who I would draft. I was the GM, but they didn't ask me, unfortunately. So, um, you know, my issues with Bryce Young is 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 he too short? You know, is he too? I mean, he's what, 5'10, 5'11, 185? 185, 190, maybe? Or is that too big? I, I don't know. It's somewhere in that area. But I mean, I mean, you know, you look at some of these guys, these defensive linemen, they're going to come downhill. They're going to kill him. He's going to be playing for Carolina, who not doesn't have a great line. And I, I mean, that's, it, it's going to be tough. I, again, I would take CJ Stroud. Um, but again, I'm not the one making the pick. Do you have any thoughts on it? Well, I think Bryce Young, 
you know, really, really, uh, well, the Mannings, Mannings, uh, Peyton and Eli, they were talking about, you know, who is an NFL comparison to, to Bryce Young, and they both said Joe Burrow just because he's shifty, his ability to move in and out of the pocket to create passing lanes, um, to be able to um, extend plays. So I think when you have a guy that can extend plays with his legs, and I think you have a guy that kind of has just that savvy and just that awareness that you really can't – that can't be taught, that anticipation. I think Bryce Young, I mean, he's he was an incredible quarterback for Alabama. Um, I think – that's a tough. That's a tough one to really go with. C.J. Stroud, kind of your prototypical big arm, uh, taller quarterback, NFL prototype. But uh, I can see why the scouts like Bryce Young. Oh, I 100% can see why they like him. I mean, you watch, you turn on the tape of Bryce Young last year at Alabama, and he was the best player on the field in every game he was, every game he played. He definitely put that team on his shoulders in a lot of yeah, situations. I mean, you look at you look at the games they won last year that were close games, whether it be Obviously, the one that comes to mind is Texas. And, I mean, he makes a play in that Texas game. And, and I know you were watching. I was watching. Yep. Texas has a free blitzer coming off the edge. 99.99% of quarterbacks are dead to rights. He yep. makes one move, scrambles for 17 yards. Alabama kicks a field goal, ends up winning the ball game. Right. The shiftiness is there. I, I don't doubt that. And I still think Bryce Young's a good quarterback. I still think he can be successful in this league. I just think the biggest thing is, is if, if he stays healthy. That's the one thing I've seen with everybody that talks about is he's great, he's great, he's great. But, you know, Bryce has had some injuries. He had injuries last year at Alabama. Right. If he's able to stay healthy. If you you tell me Bryce Young, yeah, if you tell me Bryce Young's going to be healthy for 16 games, I'll draft Bryce Young. But I don't, I don't see it. I just don't. Well, look at, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to really let the size thing really uh, kind of, I guess, indicate um, his NFL future just because you have a guy like Drew Brees. You know, he was always kind of the one that people thought were were, were too small. That, um, But then again, he was injury prone. You're right. He, Drew Brees was injury prone at times. I'm just trying to think of a guy – uh, I'm just – I'm trying to think of a guy at Bryce Young's stature. Well, I mean, I look at – He, look at he came guys. to mind. He came I look to at mind. two guys. I look at Breeze, yes, and I look at Russell Wilson. They're both kind of that same stature. But the problem is Drew Breeze and Russell Wilson are every bit of 215, 220 yeah, pounds. They're strong, but, they're strong yeah, guys. Where, I mean, they're built like Mac I – mean, especially Russ. They're built like Mack trucks. Right. And Bryce Young is built like a Ferrari. Well, what about like a Steve Young? I know he's left-handed. Well, but Steve Young – kind of. Yeah, I mean, Steve Young had a short career, though. I mean, you really look at he started he he really started starting for the 49ers in the '93 or '94 season, and he hangs it up in right. seven years. I mean, I think if you tell the I think if you tell the Carolina Panthers, hey, you're going to get a Super Bowl out of this and a few NFC Championship appearances, I think they'll sign up for it all day, every day. But right. Um, I don't know. I, I just look at. But that's I'm, a good debate to have. You know, it's just it, it's 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 just it's really it's really depends on the eye that is watching those two players. Whoever, it really depends on who's in the room making the decision. Because I I don't think you can really go wrong with either one. It just comes down to your preference. What do you like more? Well, and I think that and, and whose tape whose tape? Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Rod. I didn't mean to. Who whose tape do you like the most? You know, so. 
Well, and I think the thing holding back Stroud is is the is the bias against Ohio State quarterbacks that's out there. And it, hey, it's real. You look at the Ohio State quarterbacks under that Urban Meyer kind of system that have come in the league. None of them have none of them have panned out. I mean, obviously Justin Fields is what he is. Um, and, and you know, he has absolutely no help in Chicago, so he's kind of TBD. But I mean, you go through them, whether it be JT Barrett, whether it be Cardell Jones, whether yep. it be Dwayne Haskins, whether it be whoever it may be, and the one that got away is Joe Burrow, and he's the you best, know. he's the best one. Well, look and at so I, I think that's that's things you gotta look at. I know that's the that's the bias being used against. Um, against Stroud because, look, Ohio State, fair or not, has some of the best receivers in football, and they've had them for about seven years. So, you know, you're not going to be throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. or Jackson Smith and Jigba or, you know, Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or whoever it may be. So, yeah, I get why the bias is there. But but I watched him against Georgia, and I said, that's as close to an NFL defense as he will play. And he made throws in that game that I said that kid can play in, on my team any day. Absolutely, and he single handedly. I mean, they put it to they put it to Georgia in that SEC championship game. That yeah, was a big, that was a big yeah the semi yeah the semi that was a big time performance. So it was. So now moving on to I think probably the two most polarizing prospects in the draft. Um, it's Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, I think either one of them is going to be just a massive bust. I think in the right system, any quarterback can be good, but they're going to go to teams who are not good. They're going to teams who are rebuilding or retooling or whatever you want to call it. And I want, especially Levis, at least with Richardson, you can say, well, this kid has insane athleticism. And so I believe maybe in the right system we can make it work. I don't know what people see in Will Levis. Right. Well, Levis struggled later um, in his last season at Kentucky. So he struggled in his last season at Kentucky. I always heard that Anthony Richardson this year playing at Florida was kind of a one side of the field. He, he Really, the coach coaches tried to take away half the field. They were trying to give him one one to two reads max. So they were really trying to put him in predetermined situations and just trying to let his athleticism take over. They weren't trying to put him in a uh, a progression type play. But you look at his intangibles. You look at six four two forty four 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 three in the NFL draft or in the NFL, in a, and it has a freaking cannon sorry. attached to his right arm. Yeah. In the NFL combine to prepare for the draft. I think people are falling in love with the numbers. And I think people are falling in love with just the athletes. So, well, I look at it. I, I thought about it today a little bit, kind of researching this, you know, Levis, I think is a situation. It's another, it's a situation we've now seen for three years. It's teams trying to find the next Josh Allen. They see a they see a prototypical NFL guy with a massive arm, and they say, "I can put him in the right system, put the right people around him, and I can make him the next Josh Allen." I think right. with Richardson, you hit the nail on the head when you said, "You know, he had predetermined reads. It was one, two, go." 
Well, I think that's teams saying, hey, Cam Newton was a was a one-two go guy. Lamar Jackson was a one-two go guy. You know, you can start looking at these quarterbacks, whoever it may be. Um, you know, those two are obviously the two comes to mind that were just freak athletes at the position. But I think you see again, hey, I can be right. You know, if I'm right, I'm gonna be, you know, the next genius GM who found the next great player. And so, you know, we'll see at the end what happens. If I had to put my money, who's actually gonna have success, it's probably Richardson. Rich, I think Richardson ever led us too, for sure. Uh, but I think too, I think people misevaluated Josh Allen. You know, I just to be honest, I think I think they, you know, the big the big thing, the big knock on him was his accuracy. I mean, I don't I just think maybe that was a, a bad, you know, a bad, a bad scouting report on him because I think he throws the ball with lots of accuracy. And honestly, we know just his velocity and his arm that he has. So I think that was a little bit of a misevaluation, don't you think, on Josh Allen? Um, you know, I, I so I watched Josh. I watched Josh when he was in college at Wyoming, and I wasn't impressed. I, I was not. I don't know that it was a misevaluation. I don't know if it was he was playing with bad talent. I don't know what it was. Um, I, I just think. You know, sometimes you just don't know what a kid's got till you put him in the NFL. You know, I, right. I heard from from uh, I think Steve Mariucci maybe. You yep. know, he said, I don't know how a kid's going to react till he gets hit, and you know, Josh Allen has reacted great in every situation. So, yeah, you know, maybe maybe Will Levis is the next Josh Allen. I don't personally think it, but I, I was wrong about Josh Allen. I could be wrong here too. Um, but if you ask well, me right now, who I say is not going to be a bust, it'll be it'll be it's Anthony Richardson. Although I think yeah. he's got bustability as well. I, I so it's fun. So Fran Fraschilla, we know Fran Fraschilla on ESPN, college uh, college basketball analyst. When he was a a, a a college coach, and when he was talking about um, college players going to play at the next level. He said a lot of these next level scouts would always talk about, you know, basketball character, basketball character. I think you kind of hit the, uh, you know, nailed it when you were talking about Josh Allen. I think there was some football character in him that a lot of people didn't know about. Just his toughness, his ability to be a leader and uh, his his attributes kind of really called up to just really his football character. Um, once he was in a position to be a leader and show off his skill set, it was a perfect situation for him. And I think, I think Anthony Richardson, I think, who knows, who knows um, just with maybe his leadership. I think, I think he has some good leadership qualities. And I think sometimes Rob, in these situations, the owners know when you have numbers and some of these stats in front of you, you know, that. Regardless of what happens, you know that sometimes, really sometimes a guy's NFL draft performance and NFL combine conformance can save your, really save your job, knowing that, hey, look, I couldn't say no to, like we said earlier, 6'4", uh, 244, and runs a 4'4", 40-yard dash. Sometimes you just can't say no to those things. He's 240, 40, runs a 4'4"? 244. Good 
God. That's ridiculous. Um, four four three in the uh, forty yard dash combine. So, Strongest arm in the class. So didn't he hit the ceiling of the Florida practice facility? Like hit a beam or something in the ceiling. Like just a freak, freak athlete of a throw. But, well, I think he's got a throwing motion that you can obviously tweak and improve. But I think he's got a pretty good, um, you know, a pretty good three step drop and a three, a pretty good footwork and a pretty good repeatable throwing motion. So it's just obviously working on, you know, some little things and working on his accuracy and just his ability to read, read defenses and, uh, you know, make, make the right play in the right situation. Yeah. So next week, uh, obviously we'll dive deeper into this next week. Uh, we'll talk about who's rising most, who's falling most. We're going to hit that tonight. I kind of scrapped it. We'll talk about it next week, a little bit closer to the draft as, I really think the last few years we've seen people, you know, we really start seeing that movement uh, draft week for who starts rising and falling. Um, so this kind of ties back into my cold opening. I want to talk about it because it happened today and, and I happen to see it. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, the Miami quarterback, uh, you know, he apparently has now been contacted by Alabama after their spring game to, I guess, transfer – Obviously, massively, massively illegal to contact a kid not in the portal on somebody else's team. More, more than that, he's their starting quarterback. But I think this is going to be the first time we see it out. I think this is going to be the first time that we see, hey, who's better? What do I want more? Do I want the do I want the chance to play at the next level, or do I want the money? Because Miami, Miami's probably one of the few teams that can outbid Bama. John Ruiz is obviously their big NIL guy, the CEO of Life Wallet. Bama doesn't have that type of money. They obviously have a bunch of it, but they don't have that. And obviously, I, I say like Ruiz is the only one funding that. No, Miami's got a bunch of them, have for years, even when it was illegal. But kind of what are your thoughts? If you have any, I don't know how much you've read about it on this situation with Van Dyke and, and kind of what what's your thoughts on it from from not only a perspective of the NIL side of it, but what what do you think is going through the mind of Tyler Van Dyke? Well, right now I'm actually seeing, according to the Miami Herald, updated April 20 today, 828 p.m. I'm seeing Van Dyke stays at UM after receiving NIL overtures elsewhere. Ruiz discloses his own plans. So, so he took the money. So he took the money. Took the money. Quarterback, this is breaking news. This is on the Miami Herald. Quarterback Tyler Van Dyke has decided to stay at Miami, according to a source. In the wake of reports, that he was weighing whether to enter the transfer portal. And we know entering the transfer portal was going where, Rob? It was going to Bama. It was going to play for Nick Saban. It was probably going to be to go be the starter at Alabama because judging by the fact that they're making overtures means they're not real confident in Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. This is this is a bigger story, I think, than people. This goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show. In, are, 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 players gonna, are players going to choose? I know we were talking about people investing in their programs and people upset about not getting players because of NIL and what players are getting 
in, you know, because of NIL and where they're going because of NIL. But I think this is, I think it is a slippery, it's a slippery slope because NIL, it changes the game right here. It says Kane's report reported Thursday morning that Van Dyke and his camp. So when we hear the word camp, we're talking about the people around him in his ear were what we call frustrated with the total value of his NIL deals at UM and have substantial five games that got benched last year and have substantial offers from other schools. Obviously Bama in that situation is outbidding the other schools, but obviously breaking tonight, he's going to remain at UM and, uh, um, he downplayed any suggestion that he had planned to leave. So it looks like tonight, I know we were talking about this about an hour ago, that Bama is really hard on him trying to get him to transfer, but looks like Ruiz steps in and um, the money talks. The money talks now. The money talks in a lot of these situations these days. When I think I would rather, me personally, I think I would rather be preparing myself to go play in the NFL and have a long career. He literally got benched, but they're going to give him more money. Okay. I mean, that's, again, like I said, hey, I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. You want did, Miami, did, did, Miami, did Miami go to a bowl last year? No, they won five games. So They got beat. They got, they got drugged by Middle Tennessee State. And Southern Miss, which Southern Miss, they had a great year, but Southern Miss was in the game with them on the road. Yeah, Middle Tennessee legitimately beat them 45-20, right. 45-31. And they were up big in that game. So, look, we, we, we obviously uh, you and I are we're big on Mario Cristobal. I'm actually a big Mario Cristobal fan. But it looks like, you know, if he's going to have to perform. If he's going to get paid the big bucks, you got to perform like like the big time player. Which I don't think he is, but that's another story for another thing. Um, I, I just that's asinine, but but I just thought you wanted to hear that. I thought that was kind of even we almost oh, yeah, had break, that's, break, uh, we almost had the breaking news earlier, hearing about Alabama approaching him, and then we have even more breaking news on top of that. You know, so, three hours ago we get and it's funny you were talking about Ruiz. Obviously, there you go. Here he is again. He steps up to keep keep the player at Miami. If you want to do it, do it. It's your money. I can't tell you what to do, what to or not to do with your money. I don't think it's a smart investment. I didn't think it was a smart investment that Bama was going after him, though. But that's their choice. I guess um, Saban, you know, Saban was thinking I can surround him with better talents, you well, know, yeah, better playmakers. Obviously, obviously, Saban can tell him at the worst, he can just say, hand the ball off. But, Which I'm not saying Miami. They we know they have athletes and we know they have great players too. But based on the success last year, it looks like Alabama's definitely the better team. Well, just based on success of the last 15 years, I mean Alabama's obviously the better team. Right, for sure. Again, that's uh that shows you. You talked about it earlier. You said you know kids want more, more, more. Apparently, he didn't want more, more. He just wanted he wanted more of one thing. So um, an interesting, interesting thing. He stays at uh, Bama. You know, what, you, know, you know what question he asked both parties, Rob? How much money, how many zeros are on the check? What more can you offer me? I, I think I, I, I took, Ruiz, took, Ruiz was willing to go high. He went with the highest bidder. 
you know, again, that, that, that's, that's their money they're paying. The guy's got $6.2 billion. He can obviously throw it around however he wants to. I would have bought, I would have bought a quarterback who could actually last the season and get me more than five wins. That's just me. Definitely, definitely when my job's on the line. That his job, Ruiz's job is safe. He didn't really care. <laughs> but, I was talking about uh, as, as the coach. You know, as we move along here, last uh, topic of the night, we're going to go over in honor of our hero, Dylan Brooks. We are now going to go over the top 10 greatest NBA villains. And, and I tell you, folks, I actually, we, we need to start this with I could not put all of the eight, late 80s Pistons and the 80s Celtics on this list because trust me, I, we could have just gone down the list and just named all of them. I mean, and the, Indi- and the Indiana and the uh, early 2000s Indiana Pacers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, at least the Pistons Celtics fought other players. The early 2000s Pistons, the early 2000s Pacers fought fans. <laughs> but we got one of them on the list, and you'll have to find out who. Yeah, so uh, we'll start with number 10, Danny Ainge. Danny, now the uh, GM of the Utah Jazz, GM of the Celtics forever. But Danny, Danny was probably the most hated regular player on that, uh, on those Celtics teams. You know, he just, he pestered people. He was one of the best defenders on the team, but he just pestered people. He played He played even dirty for that time, which as we ever watched any basketball game in the 80s, they just beat each other. Um, and, and, Those are the and, best games. And, you know, Danny, Danny was hated by, by however many other NBA teams, minus one, who was the Boston Celtics. Um, that, that's Danny for you, though. Number nine. The round mound of rebound, Charles Barkley. Uh, Charles was just a lightning rod. I think he beat somebody up in the Olympics from Angola, or he said something stupid like, I I forgot what it was. We're going to basically beat their butt. I I can't remember the exact quote. I can look it up. But what are your your thoughts on Barkley, Al? (laughs) Well, in the words of Charles Barkley, they asked him, did you graduate from Auburn? He said, no, but I have a couple people working for me who did. <laughs> I, you know, it was, it was against Angola. He throws the elbow. I think the U.S. is up like, you know, I think 60 at the time. And he throws a elbow, you know, so Barkley, uh, Barkley's definitely on the list. But, you know, that's I just, just had to throw that quote in there because I feel like that's just a total, that's just a typical Charles Barkley comment to a question. Don't you well, think? I mean, he also said, I don't know anything about Angola except they're in trouble, which they were. <laughs> I think the U.S. beat them by 60. They uh, were asking, they were asking them for pictures after the game. Yeah, but but, but Barkley, Barkley was, was, was a force to be reckoned with on a lot of teams. Um, obviously, oh, the Sun, you know, with the Suns and, and the Rockets. So, he was the physical. He was the physical download player that you didn't want to get in a one-on-one battle against, and a physical type game against him for sure. But he got under people's skin. Absolutely, absolutely. You know his look. I tell even I tell my players all the time the best things you can use in basketball are your forearms, and Charles Barkley was definitely good at using those forearms. Charles, you use forearms, absolutely. Oh, those Pistons. Rick Mahorn. We'll get to his teammate a little bit later, but Rick, obviously a force on those early uh, Pistons teams with him and Bill Ambeer down low, they just absolutely killed people. 
I mean, they they put everybody in the ground. They put, I mean, it was, you go in the lane, we're going to put you on your butt. It was, you know, they did not care. They didn't care about fouls. They didn't care about if anybody liked them. They wore the black hat. They were the bad boys. And Mahorn was, he was the, he was the tag team of, of Lambeer and those just tears down low for those Pistons teams. Right. Well, if it wasn't for the 88, 89 Pistons, Rob, does Michael Jordan begin to hit the weight room? Uh, well, I don't know because he probably would have had to because he was going to have to hit the hospital wing if he didn't, if he went through another series with them without bulking up a little bit. Right. Was Chuck Daly, was he very, he was very defensive minded, right? No, oh, yeah. Chuck, Chuck was one of those guys, you know, I'm going I'm to win I the think, fight. I'm either going to win the fight on the court or win the fight off the court. Right. I think Chuck played into it. I mean, I think Coach Daly was – he played into just their mindset and their, and their attitude on that team when we're talking about um, – when we're talking about some of these players in the top ten for um, just, you know, being the most physical kind of the, the team, the, the player that is, you know, the biggest trash talker. These – I think Chuck Daly, he he really encouraged these guys to do that. Whatever whatever it took to win, you go do. Well, that, most right? teams found their identity. They knew their identity was we're going to be tough. We're going to be tougher than you in the toughest era, and Absolutely. they figured out a way to do it. Right, right, for sure. Uh, and, number you, and, and they did create the Jordan rule. So yeah, they did, and we'll get to those here in a few minutes. Uh, yeah. Number seven, ML Carr. Most of you probably never heard of ML Carr. Al had not heard of ML Carr till literally tonight. That's right. Uh, ML Carr was the guy on the Boston bench back in the 80s, and he had a towel. And all he would do was wave the towel. You can see him in any of the highlights. He's sitting there waving that dang towel. And you hear, you hear all these Lakers stories about the Lakers. They just wanted to shut up ML Carr and that dang towel. They did not say dang either. Uh, they said a few <laughs> other adjectives. But – I think ML Carr's crowning moment, you know, they, they, uh, in the, I think it was the 80, it was the 86 finals. Um, he, the Celtics make this, or 85, no, 84 finals, the 84 finals. The Celtics make a huge comeback. ML Carr has been waving the towel, irritating magic all game. And then he gets in at the end of the game and dunks it. And I'm pretty sure like there was debris <laughs> thrown on the court at him. But you know, was that, he, at, was that at home or on the? On that the was that was in Boston. That was the same okay. game where uh, uh, Kevin McHale took uh, Rick, took uh, Kurt Rambis out of the air. You, everybody's seen the highlight at this point. He undercut him, and there was oh, a yeah. fight. I, I remember. Like, yeah, that was the same game. ML Carr has to dunk, but there's also ML Carr waving the towel at Magic and yelling "Tragic Johnson" at him. That that nickname came from ML Carr, folks. I love it. Uh, that's a good one. I'm going to learn more about him. Number six on the list. He's really – he's on here for one reason. He choked his own coach. Yeah, Latrell Sprewell, folks, pride of the University of Alabama. Uh, Latrell, uh, really a good player, honest, honestly, a pretty good player on those uh, Minnesota teams and on the New York teams there with Allen Houston. But, uh, yeah, he choked his own coach. Uh, P.J. Carlissimo. Oh, it was PJ. I thought it was. I thought it was Jeff Van Gundy. Even worse, he choked PJ Carlissimo. At least it was. Short, at least Jeff was shorter. You could honestly understand it. But no, okay. So he choked PJ. 
Uh, not the greatest. So he could he choked his coach in Minnesota. It wasn't in New York he choked his coach. 25 years ago when Golden State Warriors star Latrell Sprewell decided he couldn't take any more abuse and choked head coach P.J. Carlson. Oh, wow, so the thing Golden State that he did. Okay. I thought it, wow, I thought it was way earlier. <laughs> I do remember him choking his coach. That's a great story. Uh, <laughs> number five. Actually, now that we know that was in Golden State, another Golden State player, Draymond Green. Draymond, I, I hate you. Sorry, I hate you. You irritate my Grizzlies, and you irritate everybody else. So no one likes you. Please retire. Um, that also shows you how good of a villain he is because every other team hates him. He just gets in people's skin. He gets under their skin, and uh, I think that's the sign of a good villain. Absolutely. And you got to have one on your team sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like we were talking about earlier. The – the best teams have that villain. The championship teams, they always have that one villain that just everybody hates. I can already tell you who's going to be number one on the college list. Well, there, there could be two people. I'd Actually, there could be three people, and they all play for the same university. Do we want to <laughs> go the 90s version of the most hated, the 2000s version, or the 2010s? Because there's three. It's Aitner, <laughs> Reddick, or Grayson Allen. They were all the most hated players in history, and they all played for Coach K and Duke. And we'll, that's definitely a good episode coming in the future for oh, our God, audience. 100%. Uh, number four on the list, the guy we were talking about earlier, the greatest NBA heel since probably Dennis Rodman, Dylan Brooks. He is just – and this shows you he's on our team, so we love him. Uh, but Dylan, Dylan's one of those guys. He just – man, he gets under people's skin. You can just tell it. You were talking about it earlier with, when the Lakers staring him down. I mean – they and I mean, you talk about Golden State hates him. It's just so funny to see how much these people hate Dylan Brooks because he, I mean, that's his job. He's doing what every great wrestling heel for 50 years has done. He makes you and your team feel genuine hate for him. So I saw Dylan Brooks play in person for the first time, 2017 Pac-12 championship, or yeah, Pac-12 tournament. I saw him for three games, um, but I saw him play in the Pac-12 tournament against, um, against UCLA and against um, the, the Arizona Wildcats. And it's funny watching him in that game and even that NCAA tournament. I just did not see this side of him at all. It kind of, it kind of, you know, it kind of surprised me to be honest. Well, I do though recall, I do though recall a big time flop against the Utah Utes at Utah. Do you know what I'm talking about by chance? I think I vaguely remember it. You know, January 26. Oh yeah, yeah. 2017. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Dylan Brooks. Dylan. Dylan. Sorry. Dylan Brooks with the worst flop in basketball history. Yeah. Now I remember this. Yeah. It was. It was really bad. It was really really bad. But you know, you talk about it. You said very interestingly. You said um, you didn't see this from Dylan back when he was in with the. And I've always been big on Dylan. So. You have to, I think, at a certain point wonder, did him coming in at the end of the grit and grind era, learning this from Mark and Mike, do you think that may have played some of it, some into this? And then obviously just the bravado 
that Ja Morant has and he plays with. I think I think that's been I think this team gets their identity from Dylan though. This right. we don't What's care it? who you are, we don't care what your the front or the back of your jersey says. We're coming at you for forty minutes. Absolutely, he's he's so he's the vet on the team. He's our veteran. He's our veteran. He's our veteran player. He's like twenty seven or twenty six. Right, and he he came. You're right. He was a part of those teams that had this type of um, character on their team. You know, I'm just saying. Or their culture, their culture—that's yeah. the word I'm trying to use. He, the the culture of the Grizzlies um, when he came in was that grit, grind. We're gonna play physical. We're gonna let guys know that we're here to play tough, and we're here to put our hands on you, and we're gonna play physical, and we're gonna take it to you, and we're not gonna back down from a challenge. And I think Dylan is trying to get this this younger generation and this younger group of Grizzlies to really buy into being the tougher team playing with confidence and establishing, um, you know, a swagger that we're here to play and that we are the team that isn't going to be messed with. Absolutely. So number three on the list, I mean, I don't know. He wasn't all that deserving. All he did was like run into the crowd and punch somebody. It is none other than Ron Artest, otherwise known as Meta World Peace or whatever he's calling himself these days. Uh, yeah, Ron, he punched a fan. He literally attacked a fan. That that makes you a villain on top of everything else he did, which was just be a pest defensively. But, yeah, he punched a fan. You know who was one of the referees in that game, Rob? Joey Crawford? Him, Donahue. Huh. Looks like, got re- like Ron went after the wrong guy. It, it just got real interesting. wonder how much money he had on that one. Oh, my bad. He never bet on the games he officiated. He's told everybody what was going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. After the game, after the game, the NBA suspended non-players, including Artest and Wallace, for a total of 146 games, leading to the players losing 11 million dollars in salary. Didn't Steven Jackson get suspended five, for that game too? Five play. Five players were charged with assault. Yeah, when you beat a person up in the stands, you're generally charged with assault. That's that's not very good. But uh, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Uh, that's Ron Artest definitely up there. I got a funny story though about Ron Artest in college. So Fran Fraschilla is coaching Ron Artest with the St. John's Red Storm. So Ron Artest, he used, you know, he he gets real fired up. Obviously, we can tell by what happened at the Malice at the Palace in 2004. But Fran used to say that he, when he needed to get on to run our test and when he needed to kind of settle Ron down, instead of just getting mad at Ron our test, he would take it out on the whole entire team. <laughs> so he didn't have Ron our test. He didn't want to single him out because he knew that was going to be a problem for sure. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take on just how do you handle a guy with his, with just kind of his anger, you know? So. But well, he ended up being an instrumental part with a lot of good teams. Well, yeah. I mean, he ended up being a big part of those Lakers teams that won championships. Absolutely. Um, and, look, and, and look, he's kind of – look, Dylan Brooks might could be that guy with, with the team that we have here in Memphis. And, and we get now to our top two villains, and they were that guy for their team. Um, number two, oh, God, Dennis – Dennis Rodman, if you've ever seen The Last Dance, tuk, kachuk, 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 it goes whoop, 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 whoop. 
he sounded like a vending machine. Um, but you look at him, he was the smartest guy on the court, probably, from a basketball standpoint outside of Michael Jordan. He understood, you know, he talks about it crazy, and then you realize, oh, he's talking about angles. I just can't help, but just all I'm thinking about is the test stories in my, or sorry, the, the Dennis Rodman stories in my head from the last dance. Those were priceless. Those were priceless. Well, but I don't think that's this, what makes- this is a shout out real quick to Max is nice on Instagram. If you do not follow Max is nice on Instagram, go follow him. He has some of the best remakes on uh, some of the greatest Rodman moments at, for the Chicago Bulls. You need to go watch. It is incredible. The dive, the diving play. That's not, he's got some of the greatest moments in, in NBA playoff history for sure. But, you know, and, and I, I wanted to specifically mention Rodman because I wanted to talk about Rodman with the Bulls. I think Rodman with the Bulls was a better villain than Rodman with the Pistons. That does not take away how special a player Rodman was with the Pistons because you know, you hear from John Sally in, in the Bad Boys documentary, you know, we talk about the 1990 Eastern Conference Finals, Game 7 in Detroit. You know, they talk, Pippen has the headache. And, you know, you hear it from Sally Best, you know, you got a headache and you're playing us and we're at home and Dennis Rodman is guarding you. Yeah, there's no chance. But Rodman with the Bulls had become that NBA villain. He had played into it. He had steered into it. And I think it goes all the way to during the NBA finals, he goes on a wrestling promotion after game one and hits somebody with like a championship belt or something. What did, uh, what would, what did uh, Phil Jackson say? He said, when I met Dennis, so Dennis was from Oklahoma. He was around Native American tribes in Oklahoma. Yeah, he had to live. He lived with the Ponca Indians. That's he right. Said, he said he's got one of these. Well, he, well, pulled out well, this Phil, ne- he pulled out this necklace and you said, would be, you would I be got a- one of these too. He said, yeah. yeah, Dennis, you would be a sideways walking person. Yeah, you'd be Ioka, sideways walking person. <laughs> but I think that was just – you know, Phil, we could talk about Phil Jackson, yeah, but, I think Phil just, forever. but just his ability to harness and, you you know, find the good in Dennis was just incredible. Well, because when you got Dennis to play, Dennis was one of the – he was probably one of the top three defenders of all time. Which moments – so to put, to put Dennis at number two, which moment really kind of comes to your mind – to, to, to have him in that number two spot, to be, to be one of the greatest NBA villains of all time. He went on a wrestling promotion in the middle of the NBA finals and hit some, hit Diamonds Dallas Page, who was one of my idols when I was like four years old. He hit him with the, WW, the WCW championship belt. He hit him over the head with it. So it wasn't the time that he kicked the cameraman in the groin. Well, no, I mean, that was obviously awful. But no, he hit one of my heroes with the WCW championship belt. Him and Hollywood Hogan and the evil NWO. And while we're on Dennis Rodman, Rob, I'm going to have to, after this video, I'm going to have to request my vacation. 48 hours? 72. I'm not coming to drag you out of bed because I don't know what's going to be in it. In the words of Michael Jordan. (laughs) That's, yeah, in the words of Michael Jordan talking about Dennis Rodman. Let's make sure that's clear.
Oh gosh. Great it, stories. Great stories. Come sure. back in 48 hours. It's but, funny uh, though, real quick on Dennis, when he returned to practice after his 72 hour vacation, sabbatical. Yeah. To, to, to Las Vegas. He showed up to practice in pajama pants. <laughs> elite. Just absolutely elite. And, and and Phil saying, Dennis, you know, we have to get you on. We're gonna have to get you on the bike. So we got because you're you actually have to teach your legs what it's like to run again. And you know what Michael Jordan said to Phil at that practice? I'm he not said, getting Phil, the, I'm not getting into Dennis get in shape drill. And he said, he said, he said, Phil, let's not get carried away here. Let's just be glad we got the man here to practice. <laughs> but just a uh, yeah, Dennis Robin, folks. So you're probably wondering, well, who could top that? We'll have a whole episode on Dennis, definitely oh, going forward. Oh, who could top that? The greatness of the bad boy, Bill Lambeer, who I'm fairly certain might still be the most hated player in the NBA today, and he hadn't played for uh, oh, I don't know, like 30 years. He's him, Isaiah, and Mahorn came up with the Jordan rules where they literally put Jordan in the ground. Uh, Larry Bird, the Larry Bird, one of the most cool, common collective players of all time, threw a ball at Bill Lambeer. Um, he tackled Robert Parrish, he tackled Larry Bird, he tackled Michael Jordan. He basically he led the NBA in tackles for about a 10-year period. And yes, I loved Bill Lambeer because he just, he didn't care. He wanted everybody to hate him. Was that the East? That, so that would have been 91, right? 91 Eastern Conference Finals win, Lambeer and Thomas and who else? Did they, they walked off the court before the game was over? The entire team. The entire team, right? Yeah. So, and that, he got, a, they got a lot of heat for that. Definitely, and Lambeer, Lambeer was the one that led it, right? Didn't he lead the charge? Yeah, Isaiah got more heat. Everybody already hated Lambeer. But it was, La but it was, but it was Lambeer's idea to leave that, to leave the, yeah, no, the it game. No, it was Bill's idea to leave the court. Yeah, yeah. And so, to this day, to tell and you not how, shake, And not shake hands with them. To tell you how hated Bill Lambeer is, to this day, Larry Bird will still not talk to Bill Lambeer. Michael Jordan will still not talk to Bill Lambeer. Scotty Pippen will still not talk to Bill Lambeer. Like, he is hated. That's how you're still – that's how he is still the greatest NBA villain of all time. Absolutely. And some of the shots that Jordan – I know we are talking about the Jordan, the, the, the Jordan rule and just kind of the effect that that played not only on Jordan but just the entire NBA itself during, those, during that era, just how physical the game was. But just to think that – the toll that he put on Jordan was just – it's unbelievable. I mean, Jordan was literally – I mean, he was getting he was getting killed half those, half those times he went to the lane against the, against the Pistons. I mean, you got to remember, they were, it's, like, it's like it was said, they were the NBA's toughest team, NBA's baddest team, and the NBA's toughest era, and the NBA's baddest era. They Absolutely. were bad boys. They Absolutely. Absolutely. Where did Lambeer play college? I'm not 100% sure. You know, he's from Chicago. Right. I, I want to say he played at, like, let me see. I, I, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, Notre Dame. That's, I Notre Dame. Somewhere okay. like that. Yeah, no, he played at Notre Dame. I think he played, so he, I think he played for Digger Phelps. 
Dig, okay, you played for Digger. Was Paxson on that team? Was John Paxson on that team with? I don't with? think John Paxson played. Okay. With. Not 100% okay. sure, but I, I don't. I think that would have been after Paxson. Yeah, I'm just saying that would have been an interesting duo to really think about. A Lambeer. Uh, he was Dante. there. He was there after Paxson. Okay, there after Paxson. Or, but okay. he was there before Paxson. Paxson's after him. Okay, that's okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. But uh, Lambeer is definitely someone you need, you know, if, you, if, if, if some of y'all are not familiar with him, um, I know hopefully the, the, the listeners we have today, if you are familiar, you know, a lot of y'all are familiar with sports and just good, good basketball and good 1990s playoffs. But Lambeer is definitely with the playoffs going on, Lambeer is definitely someone you got to talk about and someone you got to mention. And no, there is no question. There's no question that he is the number one NBA villain of all time. And if we have any little kids listening for, or you're playing middle school, junior high basketball, don't play like Bill Lambeer because you will not play very long. He, uh, <laughs> You'll yeah. have five fouls in the first quarter. And maybe suspended for the next five games. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you would be kicked out. In today's NBA, if you did what Bill Lambeer did, you would have been kicked out of the league. But a uh, another great night. Uh, Russell Westbrook, by the way, as we're signing off here, Russell Westbrook just hit another three. So two tonight for old Westbrook. He's yeah, they're still down seven, so it really doesn't matter. But Al, another great night. Uh, yeah, awesome, awesome. Again, I guess on uh, Sunday night or Monday. Yep. So everybody, see you later. This this is riding the pond with Lefty and the coach. We'll see, see you next time. How'd that go, you think? <laughs>